The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for a really long-awaited edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, the Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our Tiger Football Beat Writer, as well as Jason Munns, our uh, do-it-all Tiger Basketball uh, Beat Writer. Um, It has been a long time since we did a podcast. Mark? Uh, Mark, is that you? Yes, it's me. You don't look the same. You can't hear the beard on the podcast, yeah. but I have the beard now. Cool. Um, I mean, a lot's happened. We've had a pandemic that basically shut down the country for a little bit. Um, I think the last time we did a podcast was right after Ryan Silverfield got hired as the head coach. And since then, we've had a pandemic in the country. We've had spring practice canceled. We've had Kenny Gainwell uh, opt out the week before the season starts. We had Memphis play one game, then go a month before its second game because of its own COVID-19 outbreak. We had a a party bus situation, maybe, maybe not. Um, We had Memphis losing to SMU. And then now this week, DeMonte Coxey, opting out of the season ahead of what turned into the biggest comeback in Memphis football history and a win over UCF. And so now here we are probably like seven, eight months since our last podcast, Memphis is two and one going into get a game against temple a year and a week to the day after Memphis lost to temple on that controversial replay, non-reversal, uh, did Joey Magnifico catch it or not? Uh, but Memphis plays Temple at the Liberty Bowl um, with a two and one record. Seems to have, given everything that's happened, we didn't even mention the fact that, you know, only 10,000 people are allowed at the Liberty Bowl right now. And we only had 1,000 at the first game. But all things considered, two and one with. It looks like, you know, I guess they don't technically control their own destiny in the AAC, but they still have a reasonable chance at at getting back to the AAC championship game. Evan, all things considered, I I think they're in a pretty good spot given everything that's happened and everything that could have completely derailed this season. I I, I would say so. I mean, think about it. Like when 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 the outbreak, we reported the outbreak, we thought, okay, this just kind of derailed what could have been a promising season even more with, you know, with Kenny leaving and now this happened, we're wondering, okay, what's going to happen. But I mean, beating UCF kind of gave this team a little bit more, you know, more juice looking forward to the rest of the season. Now I was talking to somebody yesterday, we're looking at the schedule and you look at Memphis's schedule, it looks pretty good at this point. So I would say given everything that's happened, I mean, look, it could be a whole lot worse. Like you could be looking around like uh you wouldn't want to be Mississippi Dude, State that right kid now. Makes, that kid from UCF makes a field goal. We're probably talking a little bit differently about the season. Here we are again. Another year, another missed field goal, making things look better, right? So yeah. it, all things considered, it, it's, it's a good spot to be if you're a Memphis football fan. Well, here's what's interesting to me. You, you mentioned the schedule. Because what I think 
was demonstrated on Saturday with the epic performance by Brady White. They can win with a quarterback like Brady White. They can win any game left on the schedule. He's that good. I mean, he, and he played that well against UCF. The problem is the defense isn't good. Is good is bad enough where you could lose any game, and you don't have a lot of, lot of margin for error in the sense of. You know, when Brady didn't play, you know, Brady didn't play great against SMU, you lose the game. Um, and so it's a, it's an interesting dynamic that they've got because I, I looked it up last night, guys. I was actually thinking about it. It got highlighted because Coxie opted out and wasn't playing Saturday, and so it was noticeable. Like, you know, you notice DeMonte Coxie wasn't out there. But I went back and looked. We're in we're – in, we're going into the fourth game of, of the 2020 season, if you just go back to the Cotton Bowl, of the guys who started against UCF, only nine of them were starting in the Cotton Bowl. Three games before. Um, that's how much turnover has occurred um, within this program, both because of graduation, but it's also been expedited and accelerated by the fact that you know, you've, familiar faces like Coxie and Gainwell opted out. LaAndre Thomas hasn't played this year and isn't with the team. Uh, Pop Williams, not with the team this year. He did um, was hurt against uh, – for the UCF game. Yeah, so that, Carter didn't play in the Cotton Bowl either. But, yeah, no. it's just Tim Hart opting out. I mean, you've just had it's, – it's kind of been expedited, and it's 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 – a fascinating thing that I think is going to transpire now the rest of the year and that Brady gives you a chance to still win a conference title. Like he's a good enough quarterback where like Memphis is still an AAC contender, even with all that turnover. But it's also now this season has, I think set you up to have Next year was going to be hard regardless because you got to find a new quarterback if Brady's gone. And I expect he'll be gone even though he's eligible. But now you have this season with Brady where you can get some of the pieces around him and some of the new pieces on defense uh, in a better place going into next year when you know you're going to have a quarterback change as well. Um, so it's a, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it it's just they're different than the team we expected them to be before the season began and yet their goal is still the same and their goal is still achievable that being said it's long season ahead right seven yes. seven games seven straight games to go yeah i mean that is that's a lot that's not that's not just uh you know like a month there's still a lot of season left and you're I think you made the, a great point when you said that when you brought up Brady White's margin for error, um, it, it's, it was already slim because of, you know, a defense that has not performed very well. It, was, it got even slimmer when he lost Kenny Gainwell. Although Rodriguez Clark and Kylan Watkins, I mean, the run game has, has performed – Fine, they've been they've been pretty good actually, uh, despite missing Kenny Gainwell. But it gets even slimmer now that you you have one of the better receivers, at least from a production standpoint, um, in school history, no longer available to you. It's just it's 
his his mar- you're right his margin for error is very 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 slim and if if he's off even just a tick or two the, that could be what it's going to be hard for them to win a game where Brady White doesn't play well yeah that's what I was going to say last year's yeah. team was better equipped to win a game where Brady didn't play well like you look at the look at the Temple game last year they almost won that game um, even though Brady had like four interceptions. Right. Um, and some yeah. would argue they should have won that game if the Magnifico thing goes a different way. Um, but I do think some of these options they have, though, like watching Javon Ivory and Taj Washington on Saturday, I mean, they're both redshirt freshmen. I made this comparison to someone. I know Washington ended up with the better numbers. Ivory was the one who just jumped off the field to me as like – like, Washington looks like a really nice player, and he's the guy the coaches talked about more during the offseason, during the preseason. Ivory made some plays that made you go, oh, this guy's like one of those recruits that probably shouldn't have ended up at Memphis, but the Power Fives missed on him. Like, that's how good he looked making some of these plays. Um, they remind me a little bit, and this is this is probably – going jumping way over my skis and like kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But I saw a lot of Anthony Miller, Phil Mayhew in that, that, that tandem the other day, really playing the Anthony Miller role of like this guy who didn't get his due in high school, but has ridiculous measurables, maybe is a little small, but like has ridiculous measurables and can, seems to catch everything. And then you've got Taj Washington, who's more of like a route runner, um, really good AAC-type player. Um, I, I see a lot of potential in those two. And then Calvin Austin, who, again, another guy who seems to play bigger than he is. Like, he's small. he's a small dude, but for whatever reason, he plays much bigger than he is. And then you add in the track and field speed – I actually think it's like they're younger, but it's actually a really intriguing set of skill set of receivers still, even without Coxey and Gibson, which is kind of a, it's a, it's a remarkable given, you know, like it just, it, it's a credit to Ryan Silverfield and the whole program, the program that's been built over the years that they can, it seems like, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, a, a conveyor belt of, of skill position players. So I'll take it further. I'll take it even further. I mean, you look, we looked at this recruiting class last year. One of the biggest strengths was wide receiver and they recruited guys like Irene Washington and they played They redshirted last year. They played in four games. They got that experience. And as we were talking to them today, they were both saying how much that really kind of helped them get used to this. So mm-hmm. to see Todd Washington kind of come in and already, you know, get touchdowns, have a hundred yard game. That says a lot. But for Ivory making his first start, like you said, I think he just – he jumped out at me. I think all four of his catches were either first downs or that touchdown he had. So I think, for me, we're going to see a lot more out of them the next – not just this season, but the next few years because they came in together, they're growing together, and it's really exciting because so often Memphis has relied on one big receiver, whether it was Anthony Miller or DeMonte Copsey. But to have a wealth of receivers – and we haven't even discussed – how Sean Dykes is playing like one of the better tight ends in the country. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting look for what this offense could do minus, you know, guys who are either in the NFL or 
opted out. I don't want to spend too much more time talking about it, but it, as we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking it, it brings up a question in my mind that I want to ask both of you guys. Is this – is Memphis's group of skilled players, Washington, Ivory, Dykes, Austin, Clark, Watkins, even throw in Asa Martin and some of those other running backs, does Memphis has, have the best group of skilled players in the conference? I think it's too early to say that. They've played yeah. one – you know, like, like they've played three games. Some of them have only played one. I, I wouldn't – like, I mean – Let's be honest. You have skill possession players look pretty darn good the other yeah, day too. Yeah. Um, like. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I would go that. And like you know, SMU's skill position guys when healthy, like. Yeah, you know, but that Robert but, guy but, looked awesome the other week. But week. but as Jason said, as of right now, right. I would I mean, say maybe UC, maybe I'd say, I'd say UCF for sure number one. We saw them right. go up and down the up and down the field of the track meet. But I just see a little more out of the receivers. To like, like, let's see them. Let's see them put up numbers the next two games against Temple and Cincinnati. Two, you know, rugged defenses. Um, if the, if we come out of that and they're putting up a combined two hundred yards receiving in each of those games, you know, something like that. If Brady's still having monster games, then then I think we can start having that discussion. <laughs> um, it feels a little early. You know, that was a track meet on Saturday against UCF. And I, I just don't know if that UCF defense is great or not. Um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, they're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say it. We saw that defense two years ago. They were a much better unit. This defense, no. So I think, like but, you said, Temple Temple will be a better indicator. And, of course, Cincinnati, yes, much better. Yes. Um, well, and because I, I do think, you know, we have that, that Cincinnati game looms in two weeks. And Cincinnati looks like – the bet right now, the top threat, the, the top contender for the AAC title right now. Um, I'm not sure how good they are or not. Like their defense looks good. I, I think they look a lot like last year's Cincinnati team, like a, uh, a passable offense and a really good defense. And, um, but I just think for Memphis to beat, for Memphis to be able to run through this schedule going six and one or seven and oh, I think they're going to like, they're not going to be able to just score 50 points every game. I just don't think with, again, with the inexperience, while it's like tantalizing that talent at the skill positions, generally speaking, guys who are playing big, contributing in a big way for the first time have some ups and downs. Like they don't just consist that that's what you lose with Coxie. Like Coxie, you knew, he, like there's a consistency factor that, frankly, it's probably unrealistic to expect Javon Ivory and Taj Washington to have at this point in their career. Maybe they, maybe they are truly really, really special, and they do. But even Anthony Miller as a sophomore would have, you know, one really huge game and then, you know, would come back down to earth and things like that. It wasn't until the, he was a you know junior and a senior that he became the – kind of unstoppable force that he became. And so I'm interested to see what happens with this Memphis defense, because I think, I don't think they're as bad as their numbers suggest right now, because they've gone up against three bad, three really good offenses, like Arkansas state, SMU, UCF, all ranked in the top 10, top 15 in offense this year. 
And then when you look at it in key moments, they've played well. They've had, you know, it hasn't been the majority of games, but it's like in the Arkansas State game, they got stops when they needed to get stops. In the SMU game, for about two and a half, the last two and a half quarters of the SMU game, now it was aided by the fact that Red, the Roberson guy got hurt, but like they played pretty well. It was the offense that ultimately lost them the game at SMU. The offense couldn't, you know, they got them the stops they needed. And then against UCF, they gave up dang near 800 yards, but they did force a three and out at the end of the game when Memphis needed it. Like if, if they don't get a three and out there, Memphis doesn't win the game. And so they've shown in key moments that they're capable, but they've also shown in a lot of moments, particularly in the secondary, that they're kind of a mess right now. So I'm curious, Evan, what is your diagnosis? Like, what do you see? What do you foresee for this defense moving forward? I, it's funny you say that because it's like they're getting stops. Yeah. But these numbers, like looking at these numbers, you know, you told me about the 2017 defense being really, really rough. I look at these numbers and I'm just thinking on the positive side, they're stopping the run really well. They're 28th in rushing defense, but they're dead last in passing defense. They're dead last in total defense. Now UCF granted is going to skew those numbers greatly. Well, it's not just but, the yards. It's the big plays. Yeah. They're, they're, they, getting, they're getting yeah. beat over the top yeah. quite a bit. They're getting torched. Let's just be real. They're getting torched. And if torched. we're talking about – I mentioned there's only nine returning starters um, from the Cotton Bowl at this point. And th- in the secondary, if you go by the UCF game, three of the four guys who started in the secondary were new faces. Only Jacoby Francis started in the Cotton Bowl – the other three, John Broussard at cornerback in place of T.J. Carter, and then Tyrez Lindsey and Quindell Johnson at safety. All three of those guys are brand new. Um, and so – or new starters compared to the Cotton Bowl. Tyrez Lindsey is a veteran. I'll just say this. I said this to, to Evan earlier. I, I'm sure he's a great teammate. It sounds like he's a really great guy. But anytime Tyrez Lindsey is getting significant playing time in the secondary – more often than not, Memphis gets torched in the secondary. I don't know if it's because of him, but it just feels like when they get to that point where they're having to play him, that defense it, it has there's not just not that many times where it's gone well. Um, and so they got to figure something out because they're not getting pressure on the quarterback without blitzing, and they don't have a secondary that appears good enough to cover people when you're blitzing. So Mike McIntyre has a bit of a conundrum on his hands. And that's why I think this Temple game is important because this Temple offense is not good. This Temple offense is not an offense that's going to put up points. So if Memphis can't find a way to, you know, put their will on them and not give up big plays, I would be a little bit worried going to Cincinnati just because of, you know, of that. But I think this Temple game is going to be a really important one for the secondary because they have just been letting the big plays go wild and I'm I'm even more amazed that Arkansas State didn't have more considering how much they've done since then I think that speaks more to Memphis's defense that game but yeah no this Temple game is critical they have to find a way to have a much stronger showing otherwise I'd start worrying a little bit more yeah I think I think it's panic mode time if, if they if, if Memphis, Temple torches them yeah yeah if Memphis doesn't go if Memphis doesn't um like like Evan said it sort of impose their will and 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 look better. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's the key. Looking better. I don't know. If, I don't know if this is a, an impose your will type of defense, <laughs> but, but it would be panic mode time. And it, and I just kind of want to go back to the, you know, Mark, you brought up the, the fact that um, Memphis has gotten stops when they need them. Um, I, I would. I do think it's worth pointing out though that uh, the three and out in the fourth quarter um, that Memphis forced before they went and took the lead. Uh, UCF, so UCF had 13 drives uh, in, in the game against Memphis. Uh, only twice, uh, only two drives did they run the ball on first and second down to start those drives. One of them, the first time, they fumbled the ball. They were lucky enough to keep it. Uh, they were luck- lucky enough to keep it and go down and score, but they, they did fumble the ball. And then the second time they did it was – uh, their their next to last drive of the game where they went three and out and gave Memphis the ball and let them go down and score. Um, so I, I do think there was some play calling uh, things that, that should have been point that we need to point out. And then you also think Josh Heupel's on the hot seat, Jason. No, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just, what a hot take. <laughs> Listen, speaking facts here uh, that, that, when they Were you one of those people who voted Dylan Gabriel code co-offensive player Jason, of the year? You got me. Co-offensive Show player of the week with Brady. Show Listen, yourself, Jason. You got me. Uh, I've been outed. But he that's overcame a- Josh Heupel's poor coaching to be yeah. co-offensive player of the week. But then, but then the other thing is uh, UCF gets the ball back with a minute eight. Um, you know, down a point. And they kind of marched right down the field, you know, uh, on on that Memphis defense. Like like Memphis needed a stop there, and they ultimately got it because uh, the kicker missed a forty yard field goal. So yeah, they got a stop, but not really. Like getting a stop would have been not even allowing them to attempt that field goal. You know what I'm saying? Like so, it's it's there are some um, caveats to Memphis's defense getting stops when they need them. Well, it was, it's, it's been interesting talking to Silverfield this week about it because uh, McIntyre hasn't spoken yet since the UCF game. But he Silverfield indicated this week that there's been some, I guess, communication issues. Like they're not, you know, like some issues that from the fat born from the fact that they're playing in a new scheme, and well, they I buy that, and they're playing in a new scheme where they had an abbreviated off season. And then they had this month-long break in which a majority – like, let's be honest, a majority of the guys who were out with COVID-19 or because of contact tracing during Memphis's outbreak, a majority of those guys were on the defensive side of the ball. And so um, it sounds like they're having issues getting into position quickly enough particularly going against these sorts of spread up-tempo offenses that they've gone against the first three weeks. Like the, the, the players, especially since a majority of them are new starters, it sounds like have not totally digested Mike McIntyre's defensive scheme at this point. And they are going against some really, really good offenses. There's no, you know, that, that, that point should not be lost either. You know, let's, yeah, but Temple's not a good offense. Like they're right. fine. But they're not. It's like Temple's more of a traditional, you know. If you if if Temple puts up forty on Saturday, you're right. We've got a real issue if Temple's yeah. putting up 
big number. Yep. 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 I agree. So I, I'm I'm curious for you guys have have has what you've seen transpire over the first seven weeks and three games of this season, this wacky coronavirus uh, in coronavirus affected season, has it changed at all? What you think? Like we never really did our preseason predictions for this team because we didn't have a podcast for so long. But so basically, my question would be to close this this return podcast. Um, has anything you've seen over the first little bit of this season here now, has it changed how you feel this season is going to go for Memphis on the field? For me, I would say it's gone probably close to or about what I expected. I mean, if you would have said, I mean, shoot, we didn't know what the schedule was going to look like. So, I mean, looking at it right now, yes, they would be at Arkansas State. I would have expected them maybe either lose or get a tight one with SMU or lose TCS. So two and one, pretty fair. But I mean, I'd say right now, I mean, if you would have told me, look, we all are now Brady White believers. If you would have said that this season depends on Brady White more than ever, I would have said, all right, game on, take your chances. But I still think, like you said, everything is kind of still in play. Dre Clark looks like he's going to be a solid running back. Um, I'm, I'm still curious to see kind of how this – Offense is going to show more big plays because, granted, they got a lot of them against UCF, but I'm still kind of wondering, is this offense still going to be dynamic enough to, you know, satisfy folks or get the job done? Um, But I'd say overall, like, this has kind of been, given everything that's happened, given the outbreak, better than expected. But now we're going to see what happens as they, you know, get into this stretch where they got, you know, Cincinnati too, which I think is going to be the important game right now outside of Temple. So I think right now, it's going as well as I could have possibly hoped it to go, just, you know, looking at where things are. If you told me before the season, like if you'd have been able to tell me before the season that Kenny Gainwell was going to, you know, like two weeks before the season starts, three weeks before the season starts, Kenny Gainwell is going to leave. Um, you're only going to play Arkansas State, SMU, and UCF. Those are going to be your first three games. You're going you're gonna to miss a bunch of practice this time. Like if, if we're able to see into the future and, and know those things – I still would have thought that Memphis would be two and one at this stage. Mm-hmm. I think I would have said though, given all of that information, I would have said they would have beaten SMU and lost to UCF. So I think the record is, is where they should be. Um, I'm just a little surprised that, that the wind and, you know, the wins and losses were flip-flopped uh, from what I would have thought ahead of the season. Um but, yeah, I, I just – I think as far as forecasting the rest of the year, I need to see the Temple game first. I need to see what, what Memphis's defense can do. He's ready to fire Hypo, but he's not ready to make him take the Tigers. <laughs> That's right. No, I need to see what they do against – I need to see what the defense can do against Temple. And, like, I also want to see um, if the offense – you know, what the offense – Offense can do when they're not necessarily pushed. You know, they were sort of chasing SMU a little bit or not necessarily chasing them, but it was a weird game, um, you know, where they, where they weren't necessarily having to pursue points like they were against UCF. So, I don't know. It's been kind of a mixed bag for the offense. I just – I need a little bit bigger sample size before forecasting the rest of the year. Yeah, see, for me, what's interesting about this team is that – with Brady, and then 
especially since they've come back from the outbreak, the guts they've shown in both games, the SMU game and the UCF game, those two factors, having Brady White, having a quarterback like that, um, who can make all the throw, make most of the throws, make all the plays, like who looks like he's a guy on a mission, you know, looks like just one of those older players that, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a pro, whatever, but I just know like there's not a lot of quarterbacks in college football I'd rather have over Brady White right now, um, given where he's at in his career and, and everything. And then you add on the fact that even though there's a bunch of new faces, like that championship DNA from last year seems to have filtered its way into this year's group, even though, you know, some of the key pieces from that team are gone. So like to sit, to sit here and say, I don't think they can win the AAC title would be silly because I think they've got like some of the emotional ingredients and some of the key physical ingredients that you need for a championship team. So like, I could see them beating Cincinnati in two weeks. Um, I also think they have the type of defense that leaves you susceptible to losing games that maybe you can't foresee right now as being games you might lose. Um, They have the type of defense that allows teams to stick with you. Um, And so now can Brady get you through some of those tough spots? Yeah, I do. I think so. Uh, He showed it against UCF. But if you're asking him to do that every game or two out of every three games the rest of the way, inevitably you're going to stub your foot with that formula. So I do think both of you are right. Like, can they look like a – can they look more like the closer to the defense they were a year ago, which was by no means some juggernaut, but it was like the most respectable defense Memphis has had during this current era of success – if they can get closer to that, I think they can win the AAC again. Because I don't see anyone in the AAC who's particular – like you know, like I said, Cincinnati looks a lot like Cincinnati last year. Good team, but a team I could see Memphis beating with the right, in the right circumstances. They've already beaten UCF. I know they're a game down on SMU, but I, it feels like SMU is much like Memphis walking kind of a tightrope and is going to drop some games here. So I think it's setting up to be a really, really interesting fall for Memphis because we already know from last year, you got to have a lot of breaks go your way to have a championship season, but this team's already had a bunch of breaks, not go its way. And it's come out of all those breaks, not going its way thinking, you know what? We still got a shot. And so, um, I don't, I'm not going to predict they repeat as AAC champions. I do think it's going to come down to that Houston game, though. I think they're going to get to that Houston game playing for something at the end of the year. That, that would be my prediction. So Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, we shall see how that all develops. Hopefully, this is the first of many podcasts in which Jason's sitting on his couch, Evan's sitting on his couch, and I'm somewhere, whether it's Wherever my house. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm in a radio studio are. right now. But uh, hopefully hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be doing this every week again like we have in previous seasons now that we've re- figured out a remedy to this whole uh, not being so, able to go into the office uh, part of the pandemic. Um, but uh, 
We'll, so we'll be back next week. We'll recap the Temple game, get you get you ready for the Cincinnati game, um, and hopefully we'll be uh, talking about a Tiger win. Till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan and Jason. Thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of your week. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. 